Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. All right, so I'm here recording a follow-up to my previous lesson, which was Boasting in Tribulations. This is part two. If you didn't listen to part one, uh, check it out. It's episode number 54 on the podcast, or you can find an actual video lesson on YouTube or Facebook. And I don't normally record uh, multi-part lessons per se, but this one, I had a lot of notes that I couldn't fit into that other lesson. And so I wanted to kind of go over some of those things today to, to fill in maybe some blanks, maybe some other questions that maybe came up in your mind. And so let me just give you a brief summary of what I, what I discussed in that part one, if you didn't listen to all of it. Part one was all about examining Romans chapter five, verse three. Romans five, three says this, and not only this, but we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, I chose this particular passage to teach on for our church because really our church and, and every other church in America, uh, and really virtually the world at this time, is suffering or experiencing tribulation in some way, shape, or form due to the coronavirus pandemic. This has been going on now for, at least in the United States, uh, about 40 days, close to 40 days. And it's a very challenging time for many people. And and. I think the temptation is, as things go on, as we continue to be shut down, as we are not able to see our friends or move about in the freely in the way that we want to, I think the temptation is to begin grumbling and complaining, to begin looking at the situation as a, an oppressive situation. Now, listen. It is difficult. I, I'm not trying to minimize that in any way, shape, or form. And I know that, you know, in the United States, we have a constitution that guarantees us certain inalienable rights, such as the right to assemble, the right to free speech. Uh, it gives us rights of due process, and so forth and so on. I'm not interested in, in really making a political argument here. I think that there are people who are making a political argument about the shutdown orders and why that's not constitutional. That's not what I'm interested in at all. I'm interested in, okay, we're believers, right? This podcast, I'm a pastor, and this podcast is geared towards people who are also believers, who claim to have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the last time I checked, our allegiance was to Christ first and to country maybe like third, fourth, fifth, I don't know. I would say if I had to choose allegiances, my allegiance first would be to Christ. Second would be to my family. Third, it might be to my country, although there might be some other things that I would put in front of that, depending on the circumstance. 
So yeah, I'm an American and I appreciate the freedoms. I don't want to take them for granted. But at the same time, I have to recognize that the mindset that I have toward this trial or any other trial that I might be experiencing, the mindset that I have has to be a mindset that is in line with the Word of God. It has to be a mindset that is born out of the Word of God. It can't be a mindset of, I'm putting my culture first, I'm putting my rights first, I demand this or I demand that, because quite frankly, um, God is the one who places governing authorities over us. God is the one who has told us that we need to submit to governing authorities. We, we have it so good in America. We have it so good in America that we don't even, we can't even comprehend what it's like to have governing authorities who um, are just ruthless and evil. I mean, let's think about this. Paul's writing the book of Romans to the church in Rome underneath one of the most oppressive governments and, and totalitarian governments that ever existed on the face of the earth. So I want to exhort you, my fellow believers, let's not get all hot and bothered that the government is overstepping their bounds. Let's figure out, okay, the government is the government. We don't have control over that. What I do have control over is how I think and how I act according to the only book God ever wrote, the Bible. How do I think and how do I act according to that book? In the grand scheme of life, and the grand scheme of eternity, how the government acts, how the government acts is inconsequential to how I respond to those actions. So I just wanted to get that out in the open so that we're operating from basically the same foundation we as believers have a responsibility to cultivate and to challenge one another, to have a biblical worldview. I want you to have a biblical worldview. I want to have a biblical worldview. I don't want to have a, a poor me attitude. I don't want to have a pity party. I want to have an attitude that brings glory and honor to God. And so when I think about the current situation that we're facing with the shutdown orders, the fact that we have to stay inside, the fact that we're not able to meet right now, um, I'm, I'm looking at those things and I'm saying, all right, this is a trial. This is a tribulation. For many of us, this is a, a type of suffering that we've not had to suffer before. And what does the Bible tell me I should do about that type of suffering? How does the Bible instruct me to think about that type of suffering? And the Apostle Paul here in Romans chapter 5 tells us that we ought to boast in our tribulations. We should be boasting in those tribulations. And here's a little bit of the summary from the first lesson. Boasting, right, is a play on words used by Paul. In our English Bibles, we don't use the word boast. It's not translated boast. In the NASB, it's exalt, and other versions say rejoice. But in the book of Romans, in chapter 2, Paul uses the word boast to talk about those people, namely the Jews, who were self-righteous and self-confident in their abilities and their works before God, and they were hoping and trusting that their goodness, their good works, would 
give them a right standing before Almighty God. So Paul has really admonished and rebuked the Jews for wrongful boasting. But here he's writing to those who are believers, and he says, you should boast, you should boast. And what should you boast about? You should boast about three things in verse 2, verse 3, and verse 11. In verse 2, you should be boasting in the hope of the glory of God. In verse 3, you should be boasting in your tribulations. In verse 11, you're boasting in God through Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the reconciliation. So the Jewish person's boast, the Jews' boast, was all about how good he was before God, how his actions and his obedience to the law gave him a proper standing before God. That's self-glory. That's the type of boasting that we just find to be reprehensible. We don't find that to be appealing. We don't find it to be uh, attractive. Now, the, the Jews boasted that way about their standing before God, but there, there are people who boast in that way about all kinds of other things. It could be how good they are at their job or how much money they make or how good they are at sports or good they are at art or music or whatever it is. And so boasting is all about, you know, the definition of boasting. It's all about self-glory, self-confidence, self-promotion. That's what boasting is. And that's why it's hard to find a person who is a boastful person to be attractive or to be appealing. We generally don't like people who are very boastful. Yet Paul says here, let's boast in our tribulations. Well, what are tribulations? Well, tribulations are very simply this, those things which cause us pain. There could be many things that cause us pain. It could be emotional, it could be physical, it could be an unfulfilled longing, or it could be some type of physical ailment. There are a lot of tribulations out there in the world, and the fact of the matter is God is using all of those tribulations. He's brought them all into our lives for a purpose, and we're boasting not because we've suffered so greatly, but we're boasting because God is accomplishing his purposes in and through us. The tribulation, the tribulation is that thing that is being used to round off our rough edges. All right? The tribulation is being used to shape and mold us into something. And Paul identifies that something as conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. And so why do we boast in tribulations? It's because we're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, and God has seen fit to give us these tribulations that we might humble ourselves and might have a character that is more similar to our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's about all I've got for a summary right there. I have some additional thoughts that I want to share with you. And I basically want to bring some nuance into this boasting, into this idea of boasting. I, I want to bring some nuance into the idea of what, what is a tribulation, okay? So let me start with the boasting aspect of things. This boasting, 
that we are to do as believers. Again, it is not a boasting that is done to glorify ourselves, but is a boasting about what God's work is in our lives. It's a boasting about what God is accomplishing in us through the trials. So I think that one of the misinterpretations that you could have of Romans chapter 5, verse 3, is this. When somebody is suffering, when somebody is suffering, they would look at that and say, look, God finds me worthy for all this suffering. God is exalting me because I'm suffering so much. And they glory, they have self-glory in their tribulation because they have a wrong idea of what the purpose of tribulations is. So boasting then for some individuals could be a kind of aestheticism. Now let me define that word for you. Aestheticism is an elevation of beauty, an elevation of physical characteristics and qualities. It could be any kind of physical characteristics and qualities. Most often when we think of aestheticism, we think of rough treatment of the body. In other words, I'm I'm trying to gain favor with God, and because of that, I'm going to withhold something from myself, like food. So one thing that people do to produce aestheticism would be to go on long fasting periods or to refrain from eating certain foods, or they'll cite Daniel and say, look, Daniel was a vegetarian only. We should also be vegetarians only. Now, that's not even true. Daniel only ate the vegetables for a short period of time. Okay, people will do that kind of thing, and they will say, look, I'm suffering for God, and so I'm more righteous than you. That's one of the dangers that's found in this passage. You could take this and say, well, I'm supposed to boast in my tribulations, and so the boasting is not is not in how God is using the tribulation to conform me to the image of Christ through the process of sanctification. That's Paul's main intent. No, what people do to misinterpret the passage is they say, the boasting is in the tribulation itself, and look at me. God finds me worthy. God knows I can handle it. God knows I can do the best through this situation, so he's given me all these hard things to deal with. Okay, that's a boasting that's a self-glorifying boasting. That is self-confidence. That is self-promotion. That's absolutely not what Paul has in mind here. You see, boasting must always have an object. If you're going to boast about your works before God, what's the object? The works are the object. Who are you trying to impress? God. All right. Here in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says, we are boasting in our tribulations. The boasting is in the tribulations. Tribulations are the object. But it's not just the tribulations. It's the result of the tribulations. You see, when you read through here, tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance brings about proven character. And proven character brings about hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So tribulations is not the end result. All right, tribulations is the object that leads us to the end result, that we would have 
perseverance, and proven character, and ultimately hope in God, and that hope does not disappoint. If you find yourself boasting about how much you're suffering for God, you need to really stop and ask yourself, am I boasting because these tribulations are conforming me to Jesus Christ? Or am I boasting in my tribulations so that I receive the praise and adoration of men? If you're boasting for the second reason, to receive the praise and adoration of men, that is a sinful boasting, and that is something that is to be repented of. Why, then, would Paul say he boasts in his tribulations? Well, because Paul understood that the goal was not just salvation. All right? The goal for the believer is not just, man, I'm saved and now I have fire insurance. No, the goal for believers is that they would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, that's a long process. That's a hard process. And there are many hard things that have to happen in order for your conformity to continue. Think about it this way. Let's say that you get saved and you lived any way that you wanted to. Let's say that you get saved and, for example, you uh, were just received health and prosperity from the Lord. Never anything bad. What would that do to you over time? You know, there are Christian groups so-called Christian groups. I don't really know. I mean, they say they're Christian, so I'm not going to dispute that. The Lord knows. There are Christian groups who say the whole purpose of getting saved is to escape from poverty and to have good health. Well, if that's the purpose from getting for getting saved, how come a passage like this is written in the New Testament? How come that's not the weight of evidence experienced by the apostles who obviously had a first-hand relationship with Jesus and then were the ones who were the main church planters throughout the beginning of the church period, how come they didn't just experience prosperity and health? We need to understand that getting saved is not the end goal. Getting saved is the starting point. It's the starting point for your sanctification. Yes, if you were to get saved on your deathbed, you would go to heaven right away. That's not the common way or the common time when most people get saved. Most people get saved early in life and have an entire life to live for God. And in the process of that, in the process of living life, you need to grow in certain character attributes. You need to grow in love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How are you going to grow in those fruits if you never experience tribulation? How are you going to grow in those fruits if you never suffer? 
how will you be tested? If your faith is never put to the test, is it true faith? I would say for the person on their deathbed, yes, it's probably a true faith. I would say for the Christian who, the so-called Christian, let's put it this way, the so-called Christian whose faith is never put to the test, maybe you should do some self-reflection and self-examination. For believers who are true believers, we should not look at sufferings and tribulations as those things that are to be avoided at all costs. Nor should we take the opposite perspective of seeking out sufferings and seeking out tribulations. Jesus said that each day has enough trouble of its own, so today just just focus on what God wants you to do today. God will provide for your needs today. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't seek out extra and don't go out of your way to avoid it. What then should you do? when tribulations come about? What about long-term tribulations? You should look at those as a believer, as an opportunity to grow in the fruits of the Spirit, to grow in Christian virtue, to grow in Christ-likeness. You know, I've, I've been married for, it's coming up on 13 years this year. I have four children, uh, age range eight to three. I thought I was a pretty mature Christian when I first got married, and I think I was. But man, I didn't realize how selfish I was until I had to start living with another person. I didn't realize how impatient I could be until I had to start living with another person. I didn't realize how unloving I could be until I had to start living with another person. And so the experience of marriage has revealed flaws in my character that I have had to repent of, and I've gone to the Word of God, and I have had to grow in those areas by studying, meditating on the Word of God, praying and asking the Spirit to fill me so that I can do better, and I don't do perfect. I sin. Ask my family. I regularly confess when I sin against them. I still struggle with certain sins more than others, gentleness being one of them. I, I sometimes am just not a gentle person, not necessarily in my physical actions. I think that's where I'm gentle, but in my choice of words or tone of voice, I'm not always gentle. I need to improve on that. But as I've gone through marriage and had to live with a woman, you know, she's my, my best friend. I love her so much. I can't imagine life without her, but that has been the, one of the most sanctifying experiences of my life. And for those of you who are married, you could say the same thing. If you let it be, you could, you could not let it be, but if you let it be, it can be the most sanctifying experience of your life. Same thing with my children. You know, I, I start to get these things under control. I start to think that I'm doing well. Then you start having children and man, all of a sudden you've got all these other independent little people demanding your time, demanding your attention. They have needs that have to be cared for. And you're responsible as the dad, as the parent, to care for them. And man, then then you really see where you're impatient. Then you really see where you're not gentle. Maybe where you're not loving or kind. Maybe where you lack self-control. These are sanctifying experiences. 
And my friends, that's what tribulations are. Tribulations are sanctifying experiences. I love the word proven character in this passage because it has the idea of testing to purity. And how you would test a purity is this. You would take a, an object like a gold ring or a coin or something. You would put it into a pot and melt it over a flame. And all the impurities would float to the surface and you would skim those things off. You would skim them off and throw them away and you would have a more pure metal afterwards, whether it was silver or gold or bronze or whatever it was. That's what's happening to you when you go through tribulations. You're being melted down and the Lord is skimming off the impurities, skimming off those things that are not like Christ so that you can become more like Christ. When you face tribulations, we're not boasting in them because, oh, this tribulation means that God loves me so much and, and he values me more than you. No, when we face tribulations, we boast in them because we know that God is using the tribulation to conform us to Christ. Now, here's something that I didn't talk about yesterday, but I wanted to. I didn't have time to fit it in. What if you keep experiencing a high degree of tribulations? You know, what if the tribulations keep coming over and over and over again? Perhaps you ought to stop and, and ask yourself and really ask the Lord, Lord, am I not getting the message? Am I not responding well to this? Lord, are you trying to discipline me for some sin in my life that I've not confessed yet? You know, that's how God brings to our attention sin. It is often through tribulations. So if you are experiencing a high degree of tribulations, perhaps you should say, okay, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? Am I not getting the lesson? You need to go back to basics. Humble yourself before God. Humble yourself maybe before your wife, uh, before some uh, Christian friends who you really trust and say, look, the Lord has brought all these things into my life. I can't understand why he's doing this to me. Is there some character flaw that you think the Lord is trying to point out to me that I just don't get? Do you think the Lord is trying to discipline me for some sin that I've done? Please show me. Please help me. God can bring tribulations into your life as a discipline or perhaps because you're not getting the lesson or, and this I think is the most common reason, he brings them into your life just on a regular basis so that you can be reminded that he's God and you're not. Right? We, we need to keep that in mind that God is God, God is sovereign, God is the controller, and we are not. And when I experience tribulations, I should be reminded, God, you brought this into my life for a purpose. Let me glorify you in this purpose. Let me boast in you, Lord, because of what you've done, how you are conforming me to the image of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm going through this tribulation. What sin do I need to put off? What character flaw do I need to improve? Sometimes the tribulation is just a reminder 
that God is God and you're not. And I'm not saying that we find these tribulations to be something that is happy. I want to say this carefully because we are to rejoice in our trials, all right? Rejoicing is an attitude of thanksgiving. Rejoicing is an attitude of, I know who's doing this, it's God, and he's doing it for my benefit. I may not see that right now, I may not understand all that that is, but God is doing it for my benefit. Now, I do want to point out that there is a difference between rejoicing in our trials, as James says, and being gleeful that God has brought him into our life. And I think the difference is this, when we rejoice, we are acknowledging that God is in control. We are acknowledging that God sovereignly brought this into our life. God is doing it for a purpose that is his purpose that we may not understand. That doesn't mean it's fun or it's pleasant, all right? But I think some people take glee in their tribulations. They think that, oh, yes, I'm being uh, persecuted again, or yes, I'm being... Uh, I'm under the tribulation hand of God again. Some, something like that. That's, that's a perverted way to look at it. Tribulations ought to humble us first. All right? we're, not, we're not trying to celebrate, look how many tribulations I've gone through. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Look at your tribulations and say, okay, God, you, you have brought this into my life for your purpose. Help me to be humble about this. And again, when Paul says boasting in tribulations, it's not, look how many I've gone through, okay? Because that brings the glory to oneself. Maybe you needed a lot of tribulations to get you to conform to the image of Christ because you're hard-hearted or stubborn or something like that. No, when Paul says boasting in the tribulations, it's because of the result of that tribulation in your life. That, man, Lord, thank you that you've allowed me to suffer this, that I can be more like Jesus Christ. Teach me, Lord. Teach me what it is you want me to know. The verse that I ended part one with is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. The nation of Israel, they were afflicted by God, and they allowed it to harden their hearts towards God, and they continued to rebel. Brothers and sisters in Christ, please don't harden your heart against God when you experience tribulation. Momentary, light, Affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. Yeah, two months without church stinks. Not being able to finish out a school year and graduate for all the class of 2020, that stinks. There are a lot of things that are happening that are very stinky right now due to the coronavirus. But look, it's momentary, light affliction when compared to the eternal weight of glory that you will receive because of Christ and his work for you. And so let us, as believers, 
have the right mindset towards tribulations. Help us to be people who are thankful, joyful, rejoicing, boasting even that God is using this tribulation to transform us and to provide opportunities to reach people with the gospel. This might be the beginning of a new great awakening in American culture. This might be the very beginning because I personally have been, you know, wondering, Lord, what would it take for there to be another great awakening in America? Three months ago, four months ago, I was reading a bunch of sermons from Jonathan Edwards, and I was thinking, what would it take to bring about another great awakening? Well, here it is. As of Thursday, April 23, there's about 25 million Americans who are now out of a job. We've lost 25 million jobs in like four weeks. When people don't have income, when people can't rely upon the almighty dollar, that brings despair. And you know what? The gospel brings hope. Not not that all of a sudden your financial woes will be fixed, but that there is life after this life. And Americans don't think about that. Americans don't think about life after this life. This, this might be the very tool that God uses to produce another awakening in American culture. And we as Christians, we need to have the attitude of, let's bring this message to the world. Let's share with them. Let's cultivate an attitude of joy and of rejoicing in the midst of tribulation. So people look at us and say, how come you're so happy in the midst of all this dark stuff? Well, I'm joyful because I know the one who's in control. And I know that my eternal destiny does not reside in my 401k. It doesn't reside in the job that I have right now. It doesn't reside in any of my material possessions. My eternal destiny is reserved in heaven for me by the inheritance, the down payment that I've received from the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a great truth. Dear friends, let's have a Christ-like attitude towards tribulation and suffering. I hope that this is encouraging to you and that you will really take these things to heart. I have the opportunity to pastor a flock at the Grace Brethren Chapel located in Northwest Ohio. If you'd like to check our church out, we're on the web at www.gbchapel.org. If when the lockdown is over, you found uh, some of our podcasts or teaching to be profitable, come see us in person. Become a part of this church body, for it is the local church that is God's primary plan and purpose for this age. May you be blessed as you continue to practice God's truth.